0: she's tori
1: and he's nick
0: and this is i want to rewatch
1: an x-files adjacent podcast
0: kolchek the night stalker episode one
1: the ripper In this episode, a killer stalks the streets of Chicago, and Kolchak's investigations, despite his being banned from investigating the story by his editor, lead him to believe the killer is the original Jack the Ripper, having continued his murderous spree around the world for nearly a century. This episode was written by Rudolph Borchert and directed by Alan Barron. Its original air date was Friday, September 13th, 1974, at 10 p.m.
0: Yeah, so almost the X-Files slot.
1: Yeah, a little bit close.
0: Yeah, so it turns out that apparently I did not know this. I did a little bit of research, and the first four episodes of the series were technically just called The Night Stalker. It didn't have the little cold check with the colon. And then it took like a month-long hiatus, and when it came back with the fifth episode... That's when they added the Kolchek, the Night Stalker, ah. and then it, it stuck with it. After that, and like anything you see now, always says Kolchek, the Night Stalker.
1: Can I tell you so. that when I first heard about the show years and years ago as being inspiration for the X Files, I thought Kolchek was the Night Stalker because of oh. the way it's worded. I thought he was yeah. like some kind of, you know, I knew he was kind of an investigator, but I thought maybe he was like the Night Stalker who investigate. I don't know. So
0: yeah, well, he does drive around a lot at night in his car.
1: He does for so, sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then this series was filmed both in Chicago and also in Los Angeles. I thought it was actually filmed completely in Los Angeles at the Universal Studio Backlots. But apparently the building that is used for the INS offices, the independent news service, is actually the old colony building in downtown Chicago. And then although I think probably the interior is probably a set in L.A. And then at, at some point they use the University of Chicago. But I don't know the specifics because I don't have access to like... Like, when we do X-Files, we have all these fancy books. And there are some books for cold check. But if you didn't get them when they came out, they are, like, collector's items and go for, like, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So I don't have those,
1: unfortunately.
0: (laughs) So And then the ship that was used in Episode 5, when we get to that, was apparently, like, docked at the port of Long Beach. So it seems like mostly it was maybe, like, exteriors in Chicago and then mainly in
1: Los Angeles. That would make sense because they showed the, like... I forget the train, and I forget what it's called, but like the one that goes around Chicago.
0: Yeah, I don't know what it's called. I just called it an elevated train. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Coltech doesn't mess around with teasers. No teasers for Coltech. He's got to get down to business. So we open with some perky 70s theme music and Carl Kolchek is coming into the office and it's 7.36 a.m. according to the wall clock and the angle of the sun. And he's getting some probably not good, possibly day coffee from the coffee maker because he's the only one in the office so far. So no one was there to make it. So it's probably yesterday's coffee. And he sits down on his desk and he loads his typewriter and he starts typing and then the music shifts and it starts becoming more serious and eventually ominous. And then we get Darren McGavin as... Kolchek the night stalker and the light changes from day to night across Kolchek's face as he types and then the second hand of the clock freezes and the fan stops abruptly and we get an extreme close-up of Carl as he turns suddenly and then we get a freeze frame and a fade to black as it zooms into his eyeball because like oh my god there was something there (laughs) yeah and then that is exactly a 60-second intro for the show cool and then the show begins And we get narration by Kolchek as we fly over a portion of Chicago and we follow an elevated train. I mean, Kolchek's narration is, if by chance you happen to be in the Windy City between May 28th and June 2nd of this year, 1974, we assume, you would have had a very good reason to be terrified. And we get the title of the episode like right on the screen in the beginning, in all caps, even before Carl's voiceover starts.
1: Right, yeah.
0: Not a lot of shows actually give you the title of the show
1: Yeah, i think that was more of a like 70s early 80s thing where they would yeah bring, i was gonna like, say because this
0: this the opening of this reminded me a lot of the streets of san francisco which i think does the exact same thing where like it shows up with like a shot of the san francisco and then it tells you like the title of the episode and then goes and that's about the same time period
1: yeah so it's may 21st at 3 a.m and across the state line in milwaukee wisconsin at warner's boom boom room A bar with sometimes topless female dancers, Michelle Schiffler, who is a dancer, has just done her last number. And it's her last number, uh, Kolchak tells us, for good, basically. Mm -hmm. And so Michelle goes into the dressing room and she sits down at her vanity table. And then we see there's a man hiding in the shadows kind of behind her. And he has what appears to be like a cane sword with like a golden dragon on top. And he kind of attacks her and michelle's kind of engulfed in his black cape and we see her body fall to the floor and then the man runs out of the room and the bartender sees him like leaving her dressing room and so he is like oh what's going on so he like opens the door and he sees michelle and then he tells everyone to get that guy and so people try and like grab him but he basically just knocks everyone over and throws them around and then it vanishes
0: yeah very Janos Scorzensi like, just throwing people around. Yeah. So it could no he, be vampires.
1: He has some uh, super strength going on for sure.
0: Yeah, although uh, Richard Malcolm, Malcolm Richard, he threw people around a lot too. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, I doubt it. I doubt it's either of them because I think they are pretty much are both dead.
1: Yeah, I think they are. But these villains do seem to always have like some kind of super strength.
0: No, they do. They throw cops everywhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So then it's May 24th and it's 11 30 PM. So it's three days later. And we're also in Milwaukee and Debbie Fielder, who's 22 whose hobbies include breaking horses and collecting bone. China is leaving the miss physical therapist competition, which sounds like a really interesting contest. Mm-hmm. Would love to know what that entails. And the dude with the Cape and the cane, like leaps down from a fire escape and, uh, Kolchak tells us that Debbie wanted to be successful, but she should have settled for being alive, which I thought was kind of a weird, like I get what he was (laughs) saying, but it's like, it's a little victim blaming Kolchak. She was just going about her business.
0: (laughs) I strove too hard for success and now I'm
1: dead. Yeah. I mean, it's not like her aiming for success killed her. It was just being in the wrong place at the wrong time with a serial killer. So not great for her. And then it's May 28th at 10 a.m. And we're in the INS offices, which is the, um, what is it? The something Independent news? Independent News Service. Okay. Independent News Service. Every time I saw INS, I'm like, that doesn't.
0: No. Yeah. No, it's not the Immigration Nationalization Service. Yeah.
1: That's what it makes me think of. I know that's not <laughs> what it was, but I was just like, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. And so Carl Kolchek and Tony Vincenzo are arguing about one of Kolchek's stories about some robberies. And Vincenzo has a gumball machine in his office, which he apparently uses to like. He's just constantly, you, you know, pulling gumballs out and chewing them. And Vincenzo apparently confuses Carl's reporter ingenuity for hot-headed lunacy. So, like, as we know from the movies, these two are always at odds about what kind of stories Kolchak should be covering.
0: And it's really, honestly, some of the best parts of the movies. And yeah, it's pretty episodes. great. It's just them fighting, yeah.
1: So apparently during this investigation, Kolchak pretended to be a police commissioner and he arrested several people who interfered with his reporting, which obviously is not something he should be doing. And then a train comes by and it rattles the whole office. And after it passes, like Vincenzo's like, you know what? As punishment, you're going to cover all the Miss Emily column while Miss Emily's on vacation. So he gives Kolchak the letters and Kolchak reads a few and he just rolls his eyes at them. And he also needs to answer every letter with a return envelope. Like he needs to actually personally answer every single one, even if they don't get published, which seems like a lot for any newspaper to expect. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. <laughs>
1: Having worked in journalism briefly, like that doesn't seem like something anyone would have the time or capacity to do. Just writing a column every week, just doing that part is going to be your work. <laughs> so anyway well, maybe it's,
0: a, well maybe a lot don't return don't include return envelopes because you got to put a stamp on it right so maybe people don't okay
1: so it maybe it. it's only if okay well still yeah. that's that's still a lot of work but maybe right. it's just
0: the really desperate people
1: yeah so both the mailboy and ron updike who's another reporter taunt carl by mockingly calling him miss emily and so carl kind of returns the jab by calling updike uptight and updike gets flustered and he goes to complain to vincenzo And then Carl reads another letter from a woman who's complaining about a neighbor who walks Wilton Park at night with a foolish costume. And he seems to be staring through her walls with what she says are X-ray eyes. So Carl kind of tosses the letter aside and he gives up and he's like, I'm going to get out of here. And Vincenzo's like, oh, your assignment's with Miss Emily. And, you know, Kolchak ignores him because that's what Kolchak does. That's
0: what Kolchak does. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> he's, he's gotta see what's on the move.
1: Yeah. So. Which really, if you have to do a column, get that done first, and then you can do whatever you want. Well, he and, doesn't
0: want to do the column that's I know why he's wanna, that's why take it off. I'm
1: just saying, if you get it done, you don't have to worry about it. You can do whatever. Think, check
0: <laughs> it's, it's not news. Carl is all about news.
1: He is, yeah. So then it's May 26th on Laramie Street, and it's 3:55 a.m. in Chicago. And Miss Laura Maresco, who's a masseuse and is fond of stuffed animals, is walking down the street with a giant stuffed panda. Um, Apparently, she collects them, and this was given to her as a gift. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, she crosses a corner in front of the cape and cane dude, and she screams, and she gets murdered. And then he, like, mutilates the stuffed animal. Like, we see it on the sidewalk, and it's just got stuffing coming out, and it's totally ripped open. Yeah.
0: Killed her and gutted her panda bear as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Carl is cruising in his convertible and he hears a code five over the police band and the homicide suspect is spotted on a building at Laramie and Pulaski. So Carl like flips a U in the middle of the street and he heads to the location. And when he gets there, he like totally drives over the sidewalk to cut a corner to get to the location because there's a cop car blocking access to the street. So he like just drives over the corner of the cop's all, hey, you can't do that. And he's like, hey, I'm press INS. <laughs> And so the suspect is like running across the rooftops. And so there's cops on the street. Carl's on the street, taking photos. Cops on the street are shooting up at the guy on the roof. And there's (laughs) cops on the roof also shooting at the guy as he's running like from rooftop to rooftop. And eventually he's surrounded on all sides and they like, like, fish in a barrel just like open fire on him repeatedly and so he jumps off of the roof and it's like four stories up jumps off the roof lands on the ground and he's carrying the cane but he doesn't have his cool cape which was too bad because that would look awesome jumping off the roof but mm-hmm. he's got his cane and he lands and then he shot repeatedly at point blank range and then he just wrecks every cop on the scene just like tosses them everywhere. And so Carl is like snapping pigs all over the place. And eventually the suspect flees by running at and leaping over Carl, who kind of ducks. And the police have like all been knocked down. And the suspect only threw the police though. He didn't use a sword. So he just like tossed them around. And apparently the sword is only used for female victims, we're thinking maybe. But Carl is the only one who's left standing. And so he's like looking around, even though he did temporarily get knocked down by a flying cop. And in his voiceover, he tells us that it's May 28th at 1 a.m. And no one could agree on what they saw. But Carl has photos.
1: Woo, photos.
0: So that's good. And also, I assume that it was the same night that he had left the office. But it wasn't because, like, he leaves the office. And that was May 25th when him and Vincenzo were arguing. And then Laura Moresco's murdered the next night. Well, actually like two nights because it's like may 26th at 3 a.m well, i guess one day and then it's two days later that carl is cruising around so a little a little confusing for me but anyway and something did just occur to me about that but we'll talk about that later
1: okay cool
0: yeah
1: and by the way may, may 28th is my birthday
0: I was going to say, you have a little, yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, whenever you hear see your birthday somewhere, you're like, that's my birthday. Or maybe that's just me. (laughs) Yeah, I just do that. But like, I'm like, oh, my birthday. Kolchak has had a lot of stuff happen on my birthday, I feel like.
0: Yeah, so if you want to send presents, you know, hit up our socials and we'll hook you up.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, and then we also have a commercial. Boom, commercial. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about the commercial.
1: So it turns out the photos are no good. It's too dark. And he has this pocket strobe but like it doesn't shoot light more than 20 feet ahead of him. Like someone tells him that that's why it doesn't really work. And so all his photos just show kind of headlights and the backs of heads. And the suspect was too far away to get anything clear. So Carl's typing away and then Vincenzo approaches and he's reading some copy and telling Carl that he's missed the tone of dear Emily, which does not surprise me. Like (laughs) Carl Kolchak seems like the last person you should put in charge of Miss Emily. I get that it's a punishment, but I've known Kolchak for like two movies and I can tell you that I would not put him in charge of assembly Emily <laughs> in any way, shape, or form because it's not going to turn out good. He's not that kind of person. So apparently all his answers are a little terse and kind of cynical and he's probably not taking these people very seriously. So Carl smirks as Vincenzo reads one and he kind of keeps typing and then Vincenzo is like, kind of walks over to see what he's doing and reads what he's typing and he tears the page out of the typewriter and he tells Carl that this is not your assignment. He is miss Emily. And also he already gave the murder story to updike. So it's already taken and he needs to work on his own assignment.
0: That's right. Someone else's assignment. Yep. And just as that happens, Ron walks into the office and he is traumatized. He walks in, he kind of like weakly smiles and then walks over and sits down at his desk and he's like, it was horrible, horrible. And he pulls out his notes and he's like, because they asked him about like, what did you find out? And he pulls out his notebook and he's like, she's dead, throat cut. Her head was nearly severed from her body. And we find out that he actually got that information from a reporter at the Herald who actually saw the body because Ron did not see the body. Ron went to where she was murdered and it was horrible. So then he asked if he can just go home. And so Tony's like, yeah, you can go, go home. So he leaves and goes home. And then, you know, Carl has been there the whole time. So he just kind of looks at Tony's like, it's horrible. And he smiles and walks away.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can imagine that sounds pretty traumatic, but it is funny that like he didn't even even (laughs) see the body. Like I've seen... Not on purpose, but I have seen pictures of victims who were almost beheaded, including Nicole Brown Simpson, which was incredibly upsetting because it was just on a documentary and you don't expect it. And you're like, oh god, it's really bad, and it sticks with you like that. That stuff haunts my dreams, so it's awful. But like, he didn't even see it. <laughs> he just like, I don't know. But he's clearly not the kind of person who should be on this case, which I know is the point. But it's just really funny that like he's completely because yeah, at one not point acquit. Tony tells
0: Carl that he could learn a lot from updike because updike was like the financial editor for five years (laughs) so right updike's not the guy you
1: want on your crime beat no i'm not sure kolchek is either but kolchek's better on a crime (laughs) beat than like miss emily so anyway kolchek ever determined goes to the police briefing and he arrives just as it ends and then he asks a question about the suspect jumping from a four-story building and not only surviving but actually making scrap metal out of one of their patrol cars afterward And he's told not to worry about the patrol cars because he's not the police commissioner and everyone laughs. So apparently they know about whatever stunt he pulled while he was pretending to be a police commissioner. And another reporter, Jane Plum asks if they're going to release the letter from the Ripper quote unquote. And the letter is totally news to Kolchak. He hasn't heard about it. So we asked captain Warren about it. And apparently there have been lots of letters since the murder started And those letters have all been released to the public, like they've been printed in newspapers. So he wants to know why this one's any different. And apparently the police have withheld information about the murder and like what was done to the victim. And some of those details are included in this letter, which is why they're trying not to publicize it, because they want to keep those details secret. And Miss Plum's newspaper apparently received the letter and has agreed to withhold publication. So that's why she's kind of asking about it. So of course we know where this is going because now Kolchek knows where he can get information about the letter.
0: Yeah, so Carl tries to sweet talk Jane, but she's as he's talking about how he wants to sweet like we see him like trying to sweet talk her, but then his in his narration he calls her fat, and like she blames water retention and big bones, but he thinks it's probably like the six to eight meals per day that she eats plus snacks in between. But she is a reporter, so they obviously have some like camaraderie. And then we cut to the scene where, like, she totally does not buy it. She doesn't trust Kolchek. But she does eventually cave in over lunch, where she orders a triple-decker tongue sandwich with a side of fries, macaroni salad, a root beer float with two scoops, and a piece of pecan pie. Carl orders the chili. Anyway, so she caves in in exchange for Kolchek's ability to write lurid headlines, because despite agreeing to withhold the letter... The Herald is apparently a rag paper and they need a sensational angle for a series of features that Jane wants to write on the murders. So she tells Carl that the letter contained a P.S. that had a rhyme and the rhyme was, and now a pretty girl will die so Jack can have his kidney pie, because apparently the killer has been cutting out the kidneys of all his victims. And she's like, just like the original Ripper. So,
1: right. So I just want to say Jane is not fat at all. And I'm a fat woman, so I'm just going to say, like, she is, I mean, I don't want to guess her size, but I, I wouldn't put her more than a size 8. Like, she's not yeah, no, even No No, her, her,
0: her legs are kind of thick. Like, she's wearing a skirt. Her legs are kind of right, thick. she's not super but that's skinny. A, but that's just a body. That's. Just a she's body got
1: body. a little baby fat in her face, but she's not at all fat. And like, I also hate the trope of like the fat girl eats a million calories a day, which is not, not true. Most fat people actually eat far less than you would even guess because most of the time fat people have been on diets their whole lives, which has fucked up their metabolisms. And now they can't eat that much. Anyway, it's just a whole thing. Listen to maintenance phase. The podcast is really good, but I will say I like that they use the word fat because I do appreciate that i know it's because it's older but i really hate those little like euphemisms for fat that people use or the way people act like if you say you're fat like it's a self-esteem issue and it's like no i just i'm fat i'm aware of that it doesn't i don't feel bad about it but like (laughs) i like that word and so i'm glad they at least use that word and they don't try to like make it cute, you know? But anyway, she's yeah. not fat at all. <laughs> well,
0: I think too, well, I think, too, this was a time before it would be the cutesy stuff, you would just say. Yeah, I was think kind so, of, too. It was kind of pre-PC kind of action going on. But honestly, if she always eats like she does in the scene, with all that food that she ordered, if she always eats like that, like six to eight meals per day, plus snacks, as Carl says, she's actually looking pretty good for someone who eats that much food.
1: Yeah, I mean, she probably, so, one, probably doesn't, because he's probably exaggerating. No. And two um she probably if Wait, you know, you're saying
0: that carl is exaggerates not a, never a truth teller
1: um but also she probably just has a really fast metabolism which is fine some people can eat like crazy amounts and that's just how their body works
0: yeah but yeah she's not really
1: fat no she is not fat at all she is referred to as fat in this episode and i'm just sitting there going okay i'm fat and there's like you're I'm like, like i wish i you. was like that i'm two of you <laughs> so yeah, yeah not fat but anyway Uh, then it's may 29th and it's 11 p.m and we're at the loop which is uh carl tells us this is chicago's answer to times square so it's like bright lights tons of tourist traps souvenir shops that kind of thing so the ripper enters the sultan's palace massage parlor which advertises girls 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 and there's a woman and she's wearing like um oh i should have looked up what it's called
0: I know I call it like a belly dancer slash like I dream of Genie costume. Yeah, that's kind of what it
1: looks like. Like, I'm sure there's words for those, you know, actual pieces of clothes. I didn't look them up, but that's kind of what she's wearing. And so there's a menu board and the guy comes in and we don't really see him. We just kind of see, I think it's just his cape kind of. And then we see him Mm -hmm. point to the menu board with the tip of his cane. And so she sends the guy into a room to wait and she goes over to the back area and she tells her coworker, I've got a customer. Come watch the front. And so then the other woman comes out and we see her go into the room with the guy. And the woman who's watching the front like has a magazine and is just sitting down. But she's dressed the same way. So I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny that she's just like, all right, I'm going to sit here and read my magazine.
0: Well, there's no one coming in. So she's just waiting for someone to show up.
1: Yeah, but the other woman was too. But she was like at attention. Maybe she heard him coming. Maybe that's why. Maybe she was doing the same thing. And then we hear a scream, and so the woman, you know, rushes to the door to see what's going on, and obviously we know what she finds.
0: Yeah. And it turns out, so I'm the one who writes these notes, and earlier we said that his cane looked like it had a dragon head, but we find out here that it's actually like a bearded horned figure, probably Satan, and then like the the long flowing hair forms the handle. Earlier, we didn't see it that close. It looked kind of like a dragon to me. I assumed it was a dragon.
1: Yeah, I think he has several. I think at the yeah, end he, we does, see he has like a yeah whole we collection. find out later he
0: does have several yeah but I just kind of assumed dragon the first time because like the whole like like Dracula Dracul dragon kind of thing mm-hmm. but it turns out I guess supposed to be a devil anyway so Ron Updike is on the scene he goes to the Sultan's Palace Massage Parlor and he gets in with his INS badge and he goes in and he's like press and like just bump it into people like working his way through the room because he really doesn't know what he's doing and he goes into the room and he sees a message on a mirror and it's written in what we assume is blood it might be lipstick i don't know it's kind of I'm not really sure we're supposed to probably assume it's blood and so he writes it down in his little notebook and it says jack is resting be reborn to finish up on wednesday morn and we can assume that maybe Ron doesn't realize it's possibly blood because he doesn't seem like he seems totally unfazed. He's like, oh, there's some writing on this mirror. And he writes it in his <laughs> notebook. And then he turns around and he trips over the crime scene photographers and basically almost falls on top of the woman's dead body. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, oh, can, where's the men's room? And he has to leave immediately. Right. So, yeah,
1: I'm kind of surprised he's still on this assignment. And he didn't hand it off to somebody because like.
0: Well, I mean, who are they going to hand it off to? They you know, like, Tony's not going to let Carl have it, because that would be giving Carl what he wants.
1: Yeah. I mean, they so. got to have other reporters there, though, right? Like, <laughs> I
0: don't know. They're the independent news service, and so maybe they're a really small, you know. Maybe.
1: No. I was just surprised he was still even working on it, because when he left the office the first time looking haunted, I was like, he's never going back to crime
0: reporting.
1: <laughs> he's done.
0: Ron is a go-getter.
1: <laughs> Apparently. So Carl arrives and he tries to get access to the crime scene, but the police won't let him in because there's already an INS reporter Updike on the scene, which means outlet already has representation there. They don't have to let him in. So he's walking down the sidewalk and he sees the remains of an auto accident and there's this car and the whole front end is like smashed in. And so he kind of like asked the driver what happened And the driver said that he hit a man who was wearing a cape and the man had run out in front of him. And then the Cape man apparently walked away from the whole accident And Carl finds a piece of cloth in the grill and he takes it. But he's surprised that anyone walked away because the way the car is all bent, clearly it hit him very hard. So then we cut back to the office and there's another pile of Miss Emily letters on Kolchak's desk. And he cramps them all in his drawer because he doesn't want Vincenzo to see him. And then Tony comes in, that's Vincenzo. And he's mocking the headline of Jane Plum's cover feature on the Ripper. So she has apparently offered to meet with the Ripper And she guarantees his safety if he does so. So, like, she'll meet him somewhere and she won't tell the police who he is, I guess. So and then Kolchak makes a little dig at her by saying he'll be safe as long as he doesn't meet her at a restaurant. Oh, Kolchak.
0: I wonder if part of the deal for him getting the story and giving her that headline about the cannibal murders, right? Because the whole eating the kidney thing was that he had to pay for the meal.
1: Probably. Well, I mean, that's why I was assuming she ordered so much. I was going to say, I don't think she normally eats like that. I was guessing she was ordering a ton because he was paying for it. And that's what I thought was happening. And I think maybe why he thinks she eats that much is because whenever he buys her lunch to get information, she probably orders a lot because he's paying and she's a reporter. She probably doesn't make that much money. Anyway,
0: Possibly. that was my
1: theory. So (laughs) anyway, so that's her plan, basically, is to meet with people who claim they're the Ripper. And Vincenzo grabs a book on Kolchak's desk that he was trying to hide, and it's Ripper murders across the ages. And he asks why Kolchek continues to act like a four-year-old, reminding him that it's Updike's story, not his. And Kolchek says he's helping by doing research because Updike is actually a bibliophiliac.
0: Yep. Yeah. Bibliophiliac.
1: Yeah. And apparently he's banned from the library because he has overdue books or something. And there's like a warrant out for his arrest. It's all nonsense. And you know, it's nonsense. <laughs> it's total nonsense. And then he's like, well, I finished all of the miss Emily letters. So I'm going to help up Dyke because he's trying to create a friendlier, happier mood in the office. That's Kolchek is trying to create that mood. And mm-hmm. Vincenzo is actually impressed by Carl's turnaround. And so Carl's like, well, I'm gonna go do more research because I'm gonna read some more periodicals at the library, which Updike is totally banned from. That's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then after Carl leaves, Vincenzo's like reading through some of the book, and he sees like a Miss Emily letters being used as a bookmark. So then he like starts opening all the drawers on Carl's desk, and like there's a couple letters in one, and then there's some letters in the front, and then he opens the drawer on the side and it's absolutely stuffed full of letters, and they start just like basically flying out as soon as the drawers open because there's so many stuffed in
0: there (laughs) yeah
1: he has clearly not uh dealt with the letters
0: no well i mean he did but not in the way that tony (laughs) wants him to yeah so then Kolchak is having dinner with jane and she tells him she's interviewed nine different guys who are claiming to be the ripper and carl's talking he's like telling like what like Aren't you, you know, he's, he's hard to get worried about her. because He's afraid something's going to happen to her. Right. She's going to meet like the real killer and she's going to get killed. So she grabs her bag and she pulls out a bag of jelly beans. And Carl's like, are you going to kill him with jelly beans? And then she pulls out the gun that was under the jelly bean. The car's like, oh, put, put that away, put that away. Cause they're in the restaurant. Right. And Carl says, that isn't going to stop the Jack the Ripper. Like, cause he now thinks that all the killings around the world across the ages are the same man. And Jane says that's ridiculous, that she has a theory that it's just simple, contagious psychosis. And Carl's like, yeah, I've heard your theory. It's not So he disagrees. He has all this evidence that he reads out to her. And then he says that all the killings are in fives. So that means he has two more to get. And if the rhyme on the mirror is correct, then he's going to get both of them tonight. And she tells him not to worry, that she has three more interviews tonight. And that the killer actually sent her a letter with the same poem as the one in the mirror and promised that he wouldn't kill anyone tonight. And Kulshak's like, what? He's like, he wrote the same thing in London and then he returned to kill again the night before that deadline. And she tells him, yeah, but that was the real Jack the Ripper. So she doesn't believe him. Carl's totally worried. Carl, the math here is weird because we've actually had four murders. Mm -hmm. We had two in Milwaukee. And then we've had two in Chicago. So that's actually four. So if he does five, only one more. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Not two. Although, if we think about the thing, this is what I'm going talk about with the May 28th. Because later he's going to talk about how many people were killed in Chicago, right? So if we count the Chicago killings, there have only been two. But then we find out Marissa was killed like on the 26th. And then on the 28th is the night they're chasing down a homicide suspect. So did he kill someone else on the 28th that we don't know about? Because then that would be three in Chicago.
1: Yeah, that might be it.
0: Although if he's killing five, then he killed two in Milwaukee, too. So that would be five. So I'm not. It's it's weird. There's weirdness here. I think there might be some script issues in this episode <laughs> but yeah
1: maybe a little bit
0: yeah and then also like the whole tonight and the night before is confusing because like that does that mean it's tuesday night like because it says before wednesday morn but if so then carl's like he did the same killing the night before the deadline which i mean i guess that would make sense i guess to me the night before would be tuesday night but it's all, all kind of confusing and then the numbers too just kind of threw me so i think there might be some Like the math works if we're only talking about Chicago murders, but then why do we even know about the Milwaukee murders? What do they have to do with the case? Right. Not sure.
1: Well the night before is back in London in eighteen eighty eight. So that was Right. But
0: he's saying but like the, the poem was Wednesday morn. Right. And they're referring to that poem and he's saying that means he's got to get two more tonight, which makes me think that it must be Tuesday night because Wednesday morn would be the next morning.
1: Yeah. So. I don't know. It's confusing.
0: It is kind of the confusing. count
1: is either off or someone yeah. Someone but that would
0: error. make sense both script wise of why they're chasing a homicide suspect on the twenty eighth. Is if we don't know about the murder, would it just imply that there was a murder, but we actually didn't get the details? Because then that would make three, and then Carl's math would be working for Chicago, right? And I'm not sure how we talked about Milwaukee.
1: Yeah, so. just to set up that there's more. Mur- I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Just to have more women get grabbed and assaulted. In the I mean, it's I not like the
0: X Files never <laughs> has plot issues. So I mean, every yeah. show
1: has plot issues. Yeah, so. I'm watching The Falcon and the Winter Soldier right now, and everyone's mad about one thing from last night's episode, and it's like, all right, yeah, that's kind of a
0: Oh, a well, thing. don't tell me, because I haven't watched I, won't. I don't have Disney Plus, so. Yeah, it's good. It's really
1: good. I I'm love it. I'm waiting
0: to, when I feel like I can binge Mandalorian and WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier.
1: WandaVision was really good, too.
0: And then only pay for a month.
1: Yeah. So. Falcon and Winter Soldier. It's only six episodes. It's on episode three right now, or just three just came okay. out, so. But I love me. You know how I love like Mulder, who's kind of unhinged and a little like whatever, like Bucky Barnes dealing with trauma is just God, I eat that shit up so hard. I eat it up so hard. I don't know why. It's just I love that. Well, Hey, <laughs> if
0: you want to talk about unhinged, we got cold check.
1: We do. So speaking of Kolchak, (laughs) Kolchak is at the Sultan's Palace and he walks in and there's another woman there wearing the same kind of outfit and he orders off the menu. He kind of just picks at random. So he picks number seven, which is his lucky number, which I guess includes a hot oil rub, um, a vibrator massage and a hot towel. And he goes into the room with one of the women and he takes off his shoes and he starts to unbutton his shirt. But then he tells her that he doesn't want a massage and this i know was being played for laughs but it's one of those things where like he could have been clearer so what he says (laughs) i mean there there were ways for him to be very clear about what he wanted but instead what he tells her is that he wants to know if there's a place he can hide and watch for something he expects to happen here tonight and have his camera ready (laughs) and so like he's like is there any way i can like and so she thinks that he wants to watch her with another man and take photos or something really lascivious and so it turns out she's an undercover cop, and she's like, uh, "You're under arrest for a lewd proposal because you want to watch me with someone else." And he tries to argue, and he's cuffed and like driven away in a cop car. If you just said, "Look, I'm a reporter. I think the Ripper's going to show up. Can I?" which maybe would have scared her, but I feel like that would have been a
0: better approach than well, just also. It's gonna. I think they know who he is. I think they know because even like when the guy comes in, he's like, Phil, you know me, I'm a stand-up guy. And he's like, Yeah, I thought so, but hey. And so I think they're I think they're kind of playing him a little bit. Probably because they, know they don't is.
1: really love him, that's true.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause then we find out it's June 2nd and it's 120 a.m. And this is Carl, and he's in the back of the police car. He's giving his voiceover. And according to check, Captain Warren wanted him out of the way. And it worked. Yeah. Because the Ripper approaches Sultan's Palace, and then we see that he's in the room with the undercover officer and he pulls his sword, which is possibly like covered all in blood. I'm not sure the lighting is kind of weird, but it looks like maybe it's supposed to be like all bloody. It's like, he never cleans a sword, which is bad sword hygiene, especially if you want to take care of it and keep it sharp, but he pulls it out and then she shoots him at point blank range, but she's lucky because he just throws her across the room and then also throws the detective who runs in Phil also across the room. And unfortunately, like Phil lands on top of her, but they both get up and so they're probably okay. And more cops pour into the hallway and they've got their shotguns. And the Ripper just keeps on running despite all the gunshots and he leaps over a police car, disappears. But then five minutes later, all the police, including like the one with Kolchak in the back seat and Chicago's elite tax squad, track him down to a construction site and after leaping around the upper floors of the construction site for a while and being shot repeatedly the ripper jumps down from the building into a crowd of cops and they just swarm him and they're shooting at him and he's just like throwing cops left and right shroom, shroom, shroom. and he's getting shot with shotguns but it doesn't matter cops flying everywhere kolchek meanwhile has gotten out of the police car he's still handcuffed he's barefoot his shirt's unbuttoned so his big old hairy chest is all sticking out looking all Cold checky, and he's got his camera, and he's just taking photos left and right, photos, 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 and then occasionally having to dodge like a cop who like flies past him. So then the Ripper finally decides like, okay, this is I've had my fun, but this is over. So he throws a huge giant beam at a bunch of cops shooting at him and it knocks them all down almost kind of comedically because they're all standing in a row and the bean hits them and they fall down. And then he runs and he tries to climb a hot fence which sets off a ton of electric sparks. <laughs> yeah. So.
1: No, it's- it kind of reminded me of like a bug zapper only it's really big because he like hits it and his cape kind of flies out and you just see this like electric like uh, yeah it's yeah like, it's, zzz, it's like a yeah. giant bug zapper it's hilarious it shouldn't yeah. be funny but it was i don't
0: know no and then both especially here but in the last scene too when the cops are shooting them like i'm surprised like a bunch of dead cops because they're like all standing like in a circle just like shooting at the dude and like apparently hitting him because they're not hitting each other but like just total like fish in a barrel 360 just boom 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 boom, and apparently bullets do not stop the guy so
1: yeah no or he's, shotgun shells he seems pretty impervious so yeah and strong yes and
0: very leapy too he's yeah good at leaping. he's he's good at jumping
1: yeah he is So then we see Kolchak is being released into Vincenzo's custody, and he's arguing with Captain Warren in Warren's office. And the police have a policy of opening all containers, so they opened all his film canisters and exposed all his film, which means they've ruined all his photos.
0: Yeah, he's not happy about that.
1: No, I wouldn't be either. That sucks. So Kolchak says they need to stop pretending they can just arrest this guy and try him in court like a regular criminal or a fluke man, for example.
0: (laughs) or vampire. Or whatever. Or, yeah, he's like, yeah. yeah, he's
1: not a regular suspect. And he says over 70 women have been mutilated and killed over the last 80 years in over 25 major cities. And every time he's been captured, the execution attempts just fail completely. Like, they, they've tried to hang him and he survived. He survived firing squads. And Captain Warren is like, um, I'm quite sure we're capable of arresting the Ripper. Like, he obviously doesn't buy that this guy's like some 100-year-old murderous immortal dude whatever the heck carl is suggesting he is Mm -hmm. and kolchak's like how can you be so sure and warren says because he's currently in one of their maximum security cells and then we cut to a huge iron door being ripped away from its concrete wall and the ripper just like walking out past all these like really really amazed frightened fellow prisoners they're just like what what the heck yeah what the heck? Yeah, so he that just like just tears do.
0: the tears the door completely out of the like the cement crumble. Yeah, just,
1: yeah, it's it's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, and then here Carl again does a, like he's killed three women so far, mm-hmm. which again if we're if we're thinking the twenty eighth is a murder then that would be correct for Chicago.
1: Yeah, which makes sense because they do. I thought that when he hears the thing on the scanner that it was the 26th and that was the murder. So there must have been another one because they do kind of talk about a crime scene. And so.
0: Yeah, because like I said, like like the the Maresco killing is the 26th. And that's what we assume. Like that's the same night. Like he left the office. He's just cruising, right? Because he he's looking for stuff on the move. And we assume he, that's what we're doing. But then we find out after the guy throws all the cops around that it's the 28th so it's been like two nights so it must have there must have been a third murder and then we don't get we don't get the the details of like the woman's name and her hobbies and what have you
1: right so,
0: yeah but then that's still like why are we talking about the milwaukee murders in because they're not even included in this so
1: it's yeah just, strange. just to add more up the body count i guess i don't know i guess so Kolchak is like well if you have him in custody i want to see this guy And Warren's like, don't you understand what maximum security means? It means nobody goes in, nobody gets out. And then, of course, an officer runs in to tell him the prisoner just escaped. And Kolchak realizes that it was the electric fence that stopped the Ripper, like, at this point when they were able to arrest him. And he learns that the electric chair was first unveiled in New York in 1908. In that same year, it's the only time that a series of Ripper murders mysteriously stopped before reaching five victims. So he's like, it's because he was scared of the electric chair. He also learns that Jane's paper hasn't heard from her since this morning. So he calls her mother and finds out she was going to Wilton Park. And Kolchak shouts, Wilton Park! And runs out of the police department leaving Vincenzo with absolutely no idea what the heck he's talking about or what's going on. He's just like shouts. Because
0: he's he's having Vincenzo take notes for him while he repeats what jane's mother says and yeah like, oh, wilton park and he just like runs off and then he's like
1: what, what, "What? what's going on yeah <laughs> and then it's nighttime and we see jane's walking through wilton park and she stops under a lamp and she looks at her watch and pulls out a cigarette and then she hears something and turns around and she's like is that you jack
0: yeah and i would think this is where we'd have a commercial but it doesn't work because there's music overlapping to the next scene so not a commercial break would have been a good commercial break though
1: yeah not- for sure
0: not a commercial break and so we see carl he's running into the ins office and ron is at his desk and carl runs over to his desk and he starts opening all the drawers and he's, he's looking for the miss emily letters right and all the miss emily letters are gone they're all gone his desk is empty and ron taunts him saying like vincenzo took them all the from you ha 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 like that would be punishment for carl right he right them all the way and so then carl threatens uptight to tell him where the letters are, and that if you thought that murdered woman's scene was bad, just wait till we find yours, kind of thing. But Updike is like, nope, not gonna talk. And so Carl like leaves, and he finds a huge bag of letters in Tony's office. So he grabs them and he dumps them all out on the floor. Meanwhile, Updike uptight is getting ready to go to the bathroom, but then Tony comes in. So he pesters Tony about getting his Ripper feature out on the wire because it's almost ten o'clock. So we now know it's like almost ten o'clock at night, and that the deadline for it to go out in the morning edition is 10 o'clock right? because it's old timey, right? So you got to put it out to the wires. They can run the presses and all this kind of stuff. So Vincenzo asks Ron if Carl ever came back. And so then Ron tattletales on him. And so they go into Tony's office and Kolchek explains that he has to find the letter from the lady in Wilton park. He needs the address because he realizes like the guy in the creepy costume with the x-ray eyes is probably the killer. Right. So he's trying to find the letter. So he finally explains it. And so, vincenzo helps him and meanwhile ron is like trying to get his story out on the wire and we find out that ron's story is like awful of course and it's not even about the murders it's actually (laughs) like an expose of like massage parlors because the the murders were horrible like no one wants to talk about that kind of stuff so I'm kind of write about that they find the letter and Kolchak runs off and then ron is like what about my story and vincenzo is like weren't you going to the john Updike, and so I don't know if that's like a John Updike joke too, but then also like John because he was going to go to the bathroom when Tony came in, so right. that was kind of neat too. And now we actually do get a commercial. Boom, commercial. yeah. So this is like behind the scenes action. I'm kind of thinking there must be a commercial break between our last commercial and this commercial break because it's been like 27 and a half minutes between commercials at this point of like TV show. But then again, this is like the 10 o'clock slot, and this is also 1974. And personally, if I was running an hour show, I would not run commercials at the half hour point because then that just gives viewers a reason to change the channel and find something else to watch. It's maybe a half hour show. So maybe they didn't run commercials. Yeah, I feel like half hour I, w- point.
1: I meant to look at the total runtime. I feel like it was longer than like today's hour long shows. I don't It remember. was.
0: It's almost, is it almost 53 or is it almost 52? I forget. I can't remember if it's like 51 something yeah. or if it's 52 something. So it's much like the X-Files ones we're watching. Those are like barely 45.
1: Yeah, they're usually 44, 45 minutes. And I think nowadays yeah. an hour show is around 42, 44 minutes. So
0: yeah. It's also a different time, though, so maybe increased. there'd be less commercials for the 10 o'clock slot.
1: Yeah, it might be the 10 o'clock slot. I think also shows just used to have fewer commercials. Yeah. And so now there are more commercials, so you get less content, and shows have a shorter running time. And they Yeah, s-
0: and it would make sense to not run commercials at the half-hour point, because then people are going to flip the channel, and they might start watching a show that's starting at, like, 1030. Right. Right? So it kind of wouldn't make sense. So.
1: so Carl arrives at the house of the person who wrote the letter that he found. And she kind of is like, he calls up and she's like, go over to the the sidewalk where I can see you in the light. And then when she decides that he's okay, she buzzes him up and he goes into her apartment and she has a telescope set up to watch the house of like the old x-ray eyes or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, she wasn't just, like, seeing him walk around. She No, was,
1: she's been watching yeah. this guy. She is on it. Like, this woman is on the case. And so <laughs> she has a notebook of all his comings and goings. And so she's been clocking him for an entire month. She knows he's up to no good. And yeah. when Carl asks, like, what he did tonight, he's like, oh, yeah, he met a girl down by the edge of the park. And Kolchak asks what she looks like. And her only description is fat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's like, he's like, what's she looking? She's like,
1: fat. And he's like, fat. And she's like sort of fat <laughs> yeah, she's not bad she's so not bad it's hilarious oh anyway uh, i do love this little woman though because like when Kolchak comes in she's like oh yeah so is this all you do for miss emily just check on the weirdos who write letters <laughs> so it's like she's yeah. awesome she... yeah because
0: she's that can take risk old lady yeah like, stereotype kind of thing you know she's she's very tiny she's very short and she's got like a nice little immaculate apartment and Kolchak actually compliments her on it. It's a very nice apartment. She's like, oh, thank you. She's got her little shawl and everything. But, yeah, she's totally got, like, the telescope set up and got a notebook of all his comings and goings. And, yeah. And if you like this lady, I have some good news for you. Ooh. But I'm not going to spoil it. Oh, so, good. Yeah.
1: That's exciting.
0: So Carl goes to the house that the lady has been and. He says her name at one point. It's a convoluted name and I played it like five times trying to figure out what it was oh, and I couldn't figure it out. It and, said it on and
1: IMDb and I, I'd have to pull it up. Someone okay. someone wrote it down, but like they did it from ear, so they don't even know how to spell it. Because it yeah, kind of in name.
0: the credits she's just little old lady. Right. So or elderly lady, I think is what it is. Elderly lady. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So we'll just call her the little lady so anyway so carl goes to the house the little lady was watching and he throws a rock at it from behind some bushes like to hit the side of the house to see if anyone is in and like there's no response so then he throws another rock and like busts the window on the second floor and there's still no response so then he creeps up to the front door but as he's going to the front door the floorboards on the porch like give way and he crashes through the porch partially and so then he's trying to get out from the floorboards and he breaks a few more because as he's like trying to get up he like steps through another one but then he gets himself out and he tries the front door and it's locked so then he goes around to the side of the house where there's a side door but that door is also locked and i kind of assume he just like to break another window and just go into the house but he actually looks at the breaker box on the side of the house and then we cut to another scene
1: Yeah. So then we see him loading gear into his car and he's got some like heavy cable and some other stuff from Brennan building materials and electrical supply. And he's putting that in his trunk. And then he arrives back at Wilton Park and he carries this box of gear to the edge of a pond and he puts on some heavy gloves, which is smart. That's some safety there. And then he runs cable from the pond to the house and he connects to the breaker box. And then he breaks Ooh. another window and enters the house. <laughs> and again, like, I don't know why all his villains just live in decrepit places, <laughs> but like the house is completely like dusty and covered in cobwebs and, you know, is falling apart. It's in massive disrepair.
0: They have other things to do. Okay? I guess.
1: I guess. I didn't realize that evil villainry was so time consuming that you can't like sweep once in a while, but apparently that is the case. So Kolchak trips over some debris and he climbs the stairs and no matter what noise he makes, there's no response. So there doesn't seem to be anybody home. And then he does finally reach like a clean, well-furnished bedroom that has like wood paneling and there's like a hot plate and there's a tea kettle whistling on the hot plate. And he sees an umbrella stand by the bed, which has like a whole collection of sword canes, which includes the devil headed one. I guess they're all one of them's covered in blood. Is that the case?
0: Yeah, well, because he grabs what it uncheese uh, it and it's got blood all over the blade. Mm, and so then he takes right. photos. So I'm going to assume that like the other one previously also was supposed to be covered in blood. So,
1: yeah. And so then Kolchak starts taking a bunch of pictures of the whole scene while the kettle's still whistling, <laughs> which I would turn that off. Also, if the kettle was on, I would be worried someone was home because I wouldn't leave a kettle going if I wasn't. But
0: well, Also, you might not hear someone come in if the kettles whistling.
1: Mm, that's a good point. But as Kolchak's taking pictures, he notices a pair of shoes, like, kind of up against these curtains. And so it looks like maybe someone's hiding behind the curtains. So he kind of, like, sneaks over and pulls the curtain back. And it is just, like, a pair of, like, these little shoe boot things. Yeah. And, by the way, this house is the Munster House on the Universal lot. That's where they filmed this.
0: Yeah, I saw that note, and I was like, there's no way that's the Munster House. It looks completely different. But then I looked it up. And I found out that actually it actually is the monster house, which and it does look completely different. Yeah, because apparently they add like a lot. Well, I guess in a way they actually took away a lot of architectural details and landscaping because the monsters were like from 64 to 68 or Yeah, 64 to 66 Mm -hmm. was the monsters. But it is actually the same house. So they just like add stuff, take stuff away, change the landscaping. So,
1: yeah, it's probably one of those things where it's like it's completely blank. And then when you go to film in it, you have to like bring everything in and set it up however you want.
0: Yeah. Well, that was the other thing too. Cause I was like, that is not what the inside of the Munster's house looks like. Cause like the stairwell is completely different, but obviously the inside is a, is a set, right? It's not, right. The actual, it's not the actual house. The house is just the exterior. Right. Exactly. So, yeah.
1: So then we see another pair of shoes that are being worn by the Ripper on the porch. And as he walks up, he notices the broken floorboards and he enters his house carrying like one of his cane swords and we see kolchek exit the bedroom and then he sees the ripper enter so he's like at the top of the stairs like there's like a kind of a railing and a little walkway where you can kind of look down to below and Mm -hmm. he sees the ripper come in and he's like oh and kind of backs back up and like goes back to the bedroom and then he's trying to find a place to hide and he looks around the room and finally he decides to like duck behind the curtain where the shoes are sticking out and it, it seems to be like a closet that's covered with the curtains so he kind of jams himself in there to hide and then the ripper enters the bedroom and he's carrying a brown paper bag and he sets the bag on the table and then he turns off the hot plate and the kettle whistling kind of quiets down and then the ripper walks directly to the curtains and opens them up well he doesn't open them up he reaches in
0: he reaches into them, and then we see from inside, we see Carl, like, up against the wall inside the closet. And the Ripper's arm comes through the curtains and goes right in front of Carl's face, and he puts his hat on a shelf. And then the arm comes out, and Carl is like, all sweaty. He's, like, super scared, right? <laughs> yeah. And then the arm comes back in again, and it grabs the hanger and takes the hanger out. And then it comes in again to put the hanger back on the rack with the dude's cape on it. And at that point, Carl like loses it and he screams and he falls out of the closet. So like the guy hung the thing up. His arm came out and Carl's just like, ah! and he falls out of the closet on the floor. And the guy turns around and Carl looks right up into his face. And he's kind of like a dark haired dude, like in his late twenties, early thirties. And he's got like an extended Van Dyke, like mustache beard combo. Carl runs out of the room and he falls over the landing. So he like breaks the bannister and falls over from the second floor onto the floor. Although the banisher doesn't go with him. Like we see Carl land on the floor, but the banisher doesn't come down. So editing. Okay. And then he tries to escape, but we get to the front door. He locked. It's locked. And like one of the doorknobs comes off. So it's, you know, kind of comedic. He's like, ah, the doorknob comes off. And of course the Ripper is like heading downstairs to get him. And he has his sword cane with him. So he might actually use the sword cane this time. Yeah. We don't know.
1: Yeah. So Kolchuk runs across the room and he's looking for an exit. And he stumbles over a piece of furniture and he ends up lying next to Jane Plum. And unfortunately, Jane is dead, which is sad. I actually liked her. I would have liked to see more of her character. Yeah. Less of the fat jokes, but yeah. Um. So the Ripper vaults the railing of the stairs, and he chases Kolchek, who crashes through a window and runs. And the Ripper's like right on his heels. And Kolchek splashes through the pond, and then he like pulls the cable through the water, and like he gets out of the water as the Ripper gets in, and the Ripper is electrocuted. And we see the breaker box blow, and it catches fire. And then I guess the electrocution lasted long enough that, like, he watches the charred husk slowly dissolve into the pond. So it did actually, like, kill the guy. And then the house is, like, completely up in a blaze. Yeah.
0: And then we get another commercial.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: House on fire. Commercial. So now it's 2.32, according to the wall clock. So we're assuming 2.32 in the morning. And Kolchek enters the darkened INS office. And he has his camera and his recorder. And a paper bag. And he sets his stuff down on the desk. And he loads up his typewriter. And in a voiceover, we learn as he's typing that when police dredged the pond, they found nothing but some old clothes. But apparently now the police want those clothes. And they also want Kolchek's head. (laughs) Because he's not sure how Vincenzo is going to handle the charges of arson and malicious mischief that... Captain Warren has lodged against Carl. So I'm not sure why Carl actually isn't under arrest because he apparently was there, but they just like charged him and stuff and didn't arrest him. He came back. But the fire was a six alarmer and a blast furnace. Couldn't have done a better job. Everything is gone. The house, the evidence, his story. Ashes to ashes, he says. But there is one thing that survived. And he reaches over and from the paper bag, he pulls out a boot. Mm -hmm. And it says from the maker's mark of the boot, we learned the boot was made in London. We get like the name of the company, all that kind of stuff, but it was made in London. But they stopped making that style of boot over 70 years ago. And he's like, 70 years ago. How could you explain it? Who could explain it? Who'd believe it? And he pulls the paper out of the typewriter and kind of chuckles and crumps it all up and throws it away. Grabs his hat and he heads out leaving us to zoom in on the partially burned boot sitting on his
1: desk. Mm
0: -hmm. And then we get the end credits, which the end credits are kind of repeat of that scene, but I think these are like just the standard end credits. And it's basically like Carl kind of like doing that, like kind of chuckle laugh and pulling some paper out of his typewriter and throwing it away and then just all walking out of the office. So it's kind of a non-specific standard credit scene, but it's basically the exact scene we just got. So it's a little weird, but yeah,
1: it's over. Bye bye. All done. Yep. Another one slips away and Kolchek doesn't get his Pulitzer winning story.
0: No. Yeah, because Vincenzo told him to make sure that he's not trying for a Pulitzer when he was doing the assembly column. Yeah. So that actually is specified. Yeah. I kind of assumed that the bag that Kolchek was carrying was the one the Ripper was carrying. Although that would have meant like he would have had to like run back into the house to get it.
1: Yeah, I thought that at first, too.
0: Obviously, it wasn't. But then it's like, well, what was in the Ripper's bag?
1: Yeah, we don't find out.
0: Was it kidneys? Was it just like some <laughs> noodles to make his kidney stew? I don't, know. I don't know.
1: Also, the Jack the Ripper never ate a kidney. Like he he cut one out, but he like sent it to the police. So as far as well, we know, I mean, it's not. I mean,
0: they play a little loose with the <laughs> mythology of Jack the Ripper.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah, they do. And to be fair, I'm not like a Ripper mythology expert by any means. It's not one of those cases where I know a ton about it. I've read a couple books. I don't have any specific theory and who I think it was, like, I have no freaking idea. So I think it's one of those things that'll probably never be solved. Unfortunately, well, it
0: doesn't matter because he's dead. <laughs> killed him.
1: Right. So. Cause Kolchak kills him.
0: Cause Kolchak kills him. Like a hundred
1: right. years later.
0: That's right. So good job, Carl. So as we saw in the opening credits, only Darren McGavin and Simon Oakland are credited in the title sequence. And that's probably because Darren McGavin and Simon Oakland are the only people From the TV movies that carry over to the TV series. I mean, there might be like some Best Boys or something, but they're really the only two that carry over. So Jeff Rice, who created the Kolchak character and like Richard Matheson, like wrote the scripts for the two movies. And then Dan Curtis was producer of both. And he actually directed the second one from Dan Curtis from Dark Shadows. Of course, they're not involved with the TV show at all. So everyone else is new. It turns out they didn't get Jeff Rice's permission to do the TV
1: series, Oh,
0: which is one reason why it had a month hiatus, because there were some legal issues like it aired the first four episodes and then it was off the air for a month. And then when it came back, it was Colcheck the Night Stalker and not just the Night Stalker, which I'm not sure all the details on that. Right. But then Jeff Rice does get created by credit once the episode begins, like after the title. And the guest stars and the producer, then it's, like, created by Jeff Rice. And then we get, like, the writer and the director.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, yeah. But, yeah, apparently they didn't ask him. And so he, like, sued them.
1: That's funny. I mean,
0: yeah. And I, like I said, I don't know what the deal was. I don't know if there was money involved or what. But apparently he came yeah. back and he was, he was given, you know, creator comment. But he wasn't involved in the TV show at all. He just gets the created by stuff. Right. So, yeah. Darren McGavin served as executive producer. But then also like he's uncredited as an executive producer on the series he also apparently did a lot of rewriting and editing on the show Mm -hmm. which was also uncredited and unpaid yeah which is one reason why he kind of got frustrated towards the end and then the show ended after only 20 episodes so that's sad
1: yeah i feel like that happens a lot with actors who are really invested in the character and if they have big enough pull they do end up doing a lot of like but you know they don't always get compensated for script doctoring and stuff
0: yeah so David Chase, who is the creator, writer, and producer of The Sopranos, among many other shows, he is credited as a story consultant at the end credits of this episode. And he actually receives that credit in eight episodes. But he actually contributed like, to rewrites and stuff on all, on all 20, so the other 12 as well. And Darren McGavin actually gives him credit for much of the show's kind of quirky humor.
1: Okay. And this
0: was actually his first regular work in the industry. So nice. his first gig was working on Coldcheck Check the Night Stalker. Nice. And there's going to be another big famous name that's going to come up later who their first paid job in the industry was an episode of Cold Check the Next Stalker.
1: Nice, that's cool.
0: That when that comes up, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, I liked this episode a lot. I just feel like, I feel like one thing it was missing is like how the movies have him working with kind of a female sidekick kind of
0: Yeah, well, Um, Jane kind of does that a little bit, but not... And then she
1: dies. So I feel like he just, he kind of needs someone else besides Vincenzo to bounce off of a little bit. Because it also missed any kind of, um, like, it says that it's the original Jack the Ripper, but we don't get any explanation as to how he's, like alive and well and immortal yeah, like and why he's immortal and, and like, like bullets yeah don't there's none of that explanation just and, and you know i know that's yeah. short like they don't have tv movie time <laughs> to go into yeah. that but i would have loved something to come up as a theory like when he's talking to jane maybe on like how that could happen although i don't know how they would wedge that in but other, i mean i thought it was good i was just like i kind of noticed that like it was lacking that and i think it would be better if it had it
0: well i mean if it's gonna you know if you're gonna pick between who was a Jack the Ripper? I to think maybe like the immortal dude might possibly be a good choice.
1: yeah. There's a lot of Jack the Ripper was a ghost, or is it you know is a ghost now, or is immortal and is still killing? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So,
0: I mean, he's immortal because he ate kidneys. That's why he's immortal. I don't need to explain it. I mean, <laughs> Should be livers.
1: Stuff. It's livers. Everyone knows that. We've all seen Squeeze.
0: <laughs> well, but Jack the Ripper doesn't go and do little licky lickies and make a little
1: no and like he cut uh, i think he cut out like a uterus and like he cut off someone's breast and like it was all over the place it wasn't kidneys. it was just well just
0: because they sent the one that was supposedly a part of a kidney right right, and the the one letter that was probably fake anyway
1: yeah who knows who even knows see none of it's true and we'll never know anything it might as well not really happened (laughs)
0: also <laughs> no, we saw him kill well we didn't see him completely we saw him kill like at least the first girl we saw him like like the cape and then like she falls to the ground like he's pretty smooth with that sword cutting out kidneys because he was fast
1: yeah exactly
0: I'm not sure a sword is the best thing to go around like removing kidneys but it could be wrong
1: yeah I, I mean I'm not a surgeon unless again. you're going for
0: a big like just take a whole chunk <laughs> out where the kidney's supposed to be take a whole side of woman with you so Question
1: mm-hmm.
0: Are we gonna do ratings on these?
1: Uh that's up to you. I don't know if you want to do ratings or not.
0: Well, we didn't this is almost like what we did with our X Files, right? We started doing ratings like on like what the third episode it we had. Yeah, it was it was okay. Yeah. And so we had to go back and do the first three as well because we hadn't done ratings. So if we do that, we're gonna have to go back and do the movies too.
1: Well, we don't have to. We can always leave the movies because the movies are movies. Okay. Although we'll probably rate the X Files movie. <laughs>
0: We will. Yeah, we will. So maybe we should. Well, maybe we'll wait. Since I dropped this on you, maybe we'll wait till next episode to do the ratings. And then we'll do the two movies. We'll do this one. And then we'll do episode two. Okay. do ratings on that one. Does that sound good?
1: That sounds like a plan.
0: Okay. All right.
1: I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios.
0: Episode production, design, and editing is by Lazian Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians.
1: Our premium feed is where you can find all of our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. If you like these bonus episodes, tell a friend about our Patreon page. We'd love to have them join us.
0: Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch episode two of Kolchek the Night Stalker, the Zombie
1: and try to figure out if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out there. there. The truth is what we make of it. I read read my
0: entire thing like it was all a question. (laughs) Our music is Dark Science by David
1: Hillowitz. Uh, This is a podcast, (laughs) I think. (laughs) Not really sure what I'm doing. Our premium feed includes ad-free versions of our... all. Our premium feed includes... Oh, my God. Sorry. I don't know why that's hard for me.
0: It's okay. Ad-free versions of all... Okay, I just want to make sure that I actually didn't screw up the grammar on that, too.
1: No, it's fine. I just can't read... Mm. oh no i'm burping our premium feed includes oh my god dear lord i can speak our premium that
0: premium money for lozenges
1: yeah god lozenges and new (laughs) microphones oh lord and cat treats to shut up all the cats while we're recording (laughs)